Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. So, I admit, over the last few days, I've watched some of the highlights from the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings, and all I can say is, wow, wow. I mean, I understand digging deeply into her record as a judge. I understand about trying to discern where she stands on policy, and even her education, and all of those things matter. and. It's not an insignificant position that she's stepping into. I get that. This is a lifetime appointment that in so many ways will chart the judicial and moral compass of our nation. So it's all really, really important. But the thing that I struggle with is seeing her grilled on her personal life and her religious convictions. I mean, you may not know this, but she's um, a part of a Jesus-loving Catholic sect called People of Praise. And she's gotten so much ridicule for her position about holding Jesus as Lord and wanting to live in a way that honors him. And that pushback that she's received has just been hard to watch. I mean, they've dug into her personal life to the extent where I I thought maybe they would start to ask her about her first kiss or about the time that she overate at the all-you-can-eat sushi buffet. I mean, it was just ridiculous at times. And I found myself watching it wondering, if people put my life under that same microscope, if, if they combed through my life, if they looked through um, just the, the, the dark recesses, looked way back, um, would I be comfortable with them broadcasting in front of the whole U.S., in front of the whole world, what they found? I, I found myself hurting for her. I found myself, my heart going out to her. Here's my question for you, though. If they did the same thing with your life, what would they find? If they did the same thing with your life, how would you feel? I mean, would you feel uncomfortable? Would you feel vulnerable? Would you feel ashamed? Would you feel confident? I mean, if somebody said to you, we're going to look through all your text messages, we're going to look through your search history online, we're going to go talk to your former employees or employers, we're going to talk to your spouse, we're going to dig into your life and we're going to broadcast it everywhere. How would you feel? See, as we dive back into the book of Daniel today, the people who are surrounding Daniel are going to try to take that same approach to his life. They're, they're going to they're gonna dig in. They're going to look for the dirt. They're going to look for the things that they could hold against Daniel so that they could take him down. And you know what they're going to find? Nothing. Nothing. You know, as a pastor... I have the chance to sit with people and walk with people after things have come up in their life, things that they tried to keep hidden, after things that have come up in their life that 
destroy a part of their life, that blow up the, their life, that make the vision and dreams that they had for their life a distant memory, and they're left picking up the pieces. And as I read through Daniel chapter 6 a number of times over the course of the last few weeks, I just got this sense that God wanted to do a work in our community and in our hearts, that he wanted to prevent us from making decisions that we would look back on and regret. I think God wants you to be able to live with the same kind of freedom that Daniel lived with, where he said, look at my life, put it under a microscope, go through it with a fine-tooth comb, check it out because you're gonna find that I am who I am, through and through. And my hope for us as we dive into this chapter is that God would save us from some of the heartache that I've seen and that you've seen, that he'd save some of us from making decisions that we look back on someday and regret, and that he gives us the kind of freedom that Daniel had. I hope you were with us last week when Pastor Josh did a great job of reminding us that there's 43 years between Daniel Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. That Daniel was carried into exile in 605 BC. And the chapter 5 ends in 539 BC. That's 66 years. So let's just assume, let's just assume that Daniel was 14 years old when he got carried off to Babylon. That means that when we pick up chapter 6, he's at least 80 years old. Now, how many of you pictured Daniel at the age of 80 in the lion's den? I mean, he's grandpa in the lion's den. I know, me neither. He he never looked like that on the flannel graph that I saw in Sunday school. How about you? But that's how old he was. 80 years faithful, 80 years, or at least 66 years in Babylon faithful. He's lived what Eugene uh, Peterson quoted Friedrich Nietzsche as saying, he lived a long obedience in the same direction. That's Daniel. And look at the way that chapter 6 begins. It says this, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. So see this, Daniel is top three in the nation of Persia because there was that, that transition from Babylon to the Persians. He was top three in that nation to whom these satraps should give account so that the king must suffer no loss. And Daniel's telling us part of what his job was. Make sure that the king doesn't get taken advantage of. Make sure that people don't manipulate the king, don't steal from the king, and don't use their position to feed their own pockets. It says, This Daniel, then this Daniel became distinguished among the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So you see what's happening. Daniel's rising to the top again under a new empire and under a new king. He's rising to the top and the plan is to put Daniel over all of the other people in the kingdom. He's going to be the number one person in the kingdom. Verse 4, And then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a way to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground or complaint or any fault because he was faithful 
and no air was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless, unless. Now, if you have your own Bible out, will you circle this, star this, underline it? Unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. What a statement. We've got no dirt on Daniel. He hasn't done anything that we can point to and say he's unequipped for the job or we hold this against him. They've got, they say, we have got nothing. The only thing we have against him is that he is a worshiper of Yahweh through and through. Now, friends, what if our goal was the same? What if it was our goal to say, for, for people to say about us, we've got nothing against him except he's a worshiper of Jesus. He's not a jerk. He's not overbearing. He's not manipulative. He doesn't take advantage of people. He's just a worshiper of Jesus. See, that's a theme that repeats throughout this chapter, not only in verse 4 where they say that they have no complaint or anything against him because he was faithful, but also in verse 16. May your God whom you serve, talking about Daniel, whom you serve continually deliver you. He says it again in verse 20, Darius does. May God whom you serve continually. And he says it again in verse 23 that he, Daniel, trusted in his God. See, here's what's identified about Daniel all throughout Daniel chapter 6 is that Daniel led an integrated life. He was who he was when people were watching and when they weren't watching, when he was on the clock and when he was off the clock, when he was under the microscope and when he was a distant memory to people, Daniel was who he was. And we have a word for this, for, for living an integrated life. You know what that word is? Integrity. Integrity. It's the uh, integrity. It comes from that Latin root word integer, which means whole or complete or intact. It's, it's like when you cut an apple and it's good all the way through. There's nothing that you need to cut out. It means it has integrity. So let me ask you this. Does your life have integrity. But there's a problem with integrity, isn't there? See, integrity isn't easy. It's easier to cut corners. It's easier to tell a lie to try to get out of a situation. It's easier to manipulate or take control instead of walking through a difficult situation, isn't it? And we've all seen lapses of integrity in leaders and people of authority and religious sectors and political sector and business sector and even in our own relationships. And here's what all of us know. All of us know that a temporary lapse in integrity can lead to a lifetime of regret. Yeah, integrity isn't easy. And I'd invite you to write this down. Grit is essential for a life of integrity. See, see how I did that grit and integrity? I, I just, I love that this week. But it, it's true. It's true. The author, Angela Duckworth, wrote about grit. And here's what she said. Grit is a combination of passion and perseverance. Isn't that Daniel's life? Passion and perseverance. And through years of research, here's what she found. 
She found that grit was a stronger indicator of high achievement than intelligence, talent, and personality. What would it look like for us to be the kind of people who had grit in our integrity, had grit in our faithfulness, who would say to God, God, I'm willing to walk with you, not just when the times are really, really good, but when times are difficult, I'm going to walk with you. Through global pandemic, I'm going to walk with you. Through businesses suffering, I'm going to walk with you. Through relationships that are difficult, I'm going to walk with you. And as my, my identity as one of your followers, I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to do my best to be true. As Jesus would say, blessed are the pure in heart, uh, those with integrity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't saying that you have to be perfect. Daniel wasn't perfect. But to be pure in heart means that we're truthful. That when we see things in us, in ourselves that we don't like, we bring them into the light and we fight, we wrestle to remain faithful to God. And that's the kind of life that actually produces the fruit that you and I long for. Here's what I want to do over the next few minutes we have together. Let's dig into Daniel's life and let's find out what it was that gave him the grit to live a life of integrity. So let's let Daniel be our guide and let him show us how to develop the kind of character that allows us to look back on our life with fewer regrets. See, all these other leaders, they knew that they couldn't find anything in Daniel's life that they could hold against him except the worship of his God. And so they developed this scheme, this plan. Um, let's talk the king into making an injunction that people can only worship him for 30 days. Verse 7 is where we pick up the story. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, and the counselors, the governors, are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, any king in this time would have thought, well, that seems like a great offer. Worship of only me for 30 days? Where do I sign up for that? The only problem is that Darius had forgotten that, Yah or that Daniel worshipped only Yahweh. And Daniel was one of his top leaders. And this was going to put him in a really difficult position. And that's exactly what the other leaders wanted to have happen. And here's where Daniel starts to guide us into how to live a life of, of integrity that leads to fewer regrets. Hey, here's what I want you to write down. Expect opposition. Expect opposition. There were people who wanted to take Daniel down because they were jealous of him. Uh, maybe because they'd he had cost them money, right? Like his integrity said, no, we're not going to take something that's not ours. You're, you can't do that. That's the king's. It's not yours. And so people started to push back against Daniel and wanted to get rid of him. Some have suggested that the comment in verse 13 about him being one of those exiles from Judah even suggests that they looked down on him because of his ethnicity. 
But here's the principle. Faithfulness to God will cost us the favor of people. It will. It's not an if, it's a when. But what if we, as followers of Jesus today, started to assume that we would face opposition? I mean, we've lived in a cultural moment for a long time where that hasn't been as much of the case, but I think we're entering into a season where we need to get more used to that. You know, I am Scott Peck wrote at the beginning of one of his books, he said this, life is difficult. This is a great truth. In fact, it's one of the greatest truths. It's a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we can transcend it. Now, I don't know if he's totally right. I don't know if admitting that life is difficult allows us to completely transcend it, but it does allow us to deal with it with some grit and continue to live with integrity if we expect opposition. You know, it's really interesting as you read about Jesus's sending of his disciples, this is exactly what he told them. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says this as he's sending them out, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. I mean, if I'm one of Jesus' disciples, I think I'd say, hey, time out, Rabbi. I know that you're the king of the world and that you've created it all and sustained it all. But I think you mixed up your metaphors there. Like, aren't we the wolves going into amongst the sheep? Like, aren't we going to be victorious? And isn't this going to be a bloodbath where we're on the good end of it? I mean, in so many ways, this is the worst pep talk of all time, isn't it? But Jesus is simply being honest. He's simply telling them, if you're faithful to me, people in the world are going to push back at you. If you're living faithfully, you will face adversity. See, if this COVID season has taught me anything about the American church, it's that I don't know if we're ready for opposition. I mean, when things started to get just a little bit difficult, uh, we started to say things like, well, Jesus must be coming back soon. And maybe he is, maybe he is, but it's interesting that that's our first line of reasoning when life gets a little bit challenging, or we started to say we're we're being persecuted. I, I don't know, you guys, I think our brothers and sisters around the globe would look at our persecution and go, really, really? See, the truth of the matter is, this is, and I want you to grasp this, the church has always flourished when it's faced opposition. Those are the times when the church has risen up and become the church that it was always designed to be. It's because in those seasons, you can't ride the fence. You're either in or you're out because it costs you something. And it's those seasons of opposition where the church starts to peel back the layers of cultural Christianity and starts to wrestle with who are we really in the core? Who are we? Why did this whole mission that has a church start? Well, it started because Jesus rose from the grave. It started because a new world was dawning. It started with this conviction, Jesus is Lord. He saved us from sin and death, and we can learn to live in his kingdom today. And in those seasons, the church gets back to its original mission and becomes a powerful, beautiful force for good. We have to expect opposition. It's a reality of living faithfully.
So the king signs this injunction that he gets talked into. And listen to the way the story picks up in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber and opened them towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. If you ever own Bible, sir, or underline that phrase, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and a plea before his God. He is clearly breaking the rules. But notice, I just love Daniel. He's, he's not flaunting. He's just being faithful. And he's not picking up something new because the king had made this injunction. He's just simply continuing to do what he had done previously. This is a practice. This is a, a, a habit. This is a routine that Daniel developed. See, you might want to jot this down. Daniel didn't prepare for the lion's den when the injection was signed. He prepared for it every single day before. See, Daniel's integrity wasn't a project that he began. It was a life that he developed. And if we want to have that same kind of grit, if we want to have that grit that leads to integrity, that, like Daniel's life, I'd invite you to write this down. We must develop practices. We, we all have practices. We call them habits. And to live with integrity, we have to develop our habits or practices intentionally. I mean, if you grab your phone right when you wake up in the morning and start scrolling through your news app or social media, that's a habit. If you um, overeat or overdrink or overshop when you're under pressure or when life gets difficult, when you face adversity, that's a habit. We all have habits. We all have practices. The question is, do the habits that we have developed or the practices that we've embraced lead to the life that we long for? See, but when people think of spiritual practices, they often have a pattern in their mind, something that they've tried before, and they go, well, well Paulson, that just doesn't work for me. Here's the pattern most people think of. It's a, a fourfold pattern. It looks like this. Try harder, get tired, quit, and then feel guilty. I mean, anybody around February ever felt that way? I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. I'm going to try harder. And then a few months in, you hit Leviticus, and you start to get a little bit tired. And then eventually, maybe in uh, numbers, you, you call it quits, and then you feel guilty. Gosh, I'm a failure. I'll never be able to do that. That's the way that most of us view spiritual practices and spiritual habits. And so when we hear that word, we go, oh, come on. But Daniel shows us a, a better way. What Daniel shows us is that growth happens through small and consistent choices of obedience that eventually build on themselves to reshape our lives. Here's the, what I would suggest is the full fourfold full, full, four fold pattern of Daniel. Here's what he says. Here's what he does. He practices. He embraces this, this habit. And he starts to see growth in his life. And that growth allows him to develop confidence in God and in who God's making him to be. And that eventually leads to freedom. But if we're going to learn from Daniel, here's what we have to do. We've got to 
We've got to start small. We can't just jump off of the deep end and go, I'm going to read through the entire Bible tonight. No, we have to start small with things that we can do. And we have to start with the goal. Please catch this, and you might want to write this down. We have to start with the goal, not of trying harder. That's not the goal. But the goal is training. The goal is to be transformed, to become different kinds of people. And so we celebrate different things when we have a different goal in our mind. In fact, listen to the goal. Jesus tells us the goal in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. He says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but every person, when they're fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's the goal, to become like our rabbi, to become like Jesus. And over the years of faithful, consistent prayer, Daniel is reshaped. He's reformed more into the image of his God. You know, I I think of stories like uh, the civil rights movement in the United States. I, I think of people like Martin Luther King Jr., who was training people, not telling them to try, but training them to respond in a way that would shape a movement. Uh, Listen to what they would do. The leaders would set up after-school practice sessions where students would come in, they would sit down, and the instructors would hurl insults at them and pour food on their heads. And the student's job was to learn to overcome. They were practicing responding to violence with patience and hatred with love so that in the time where they needed it, it would start to flow naturally. See, what Daniel's doing is, uh, we have a name for it. It's, it's called fixed hour prayer. He, he just set his alarm, set his Apple watch, I'm sure, to buzz three times every day where he would go to his room, face Jerusalem, get on his knees because posture is important, and pray. You can do this. You can set an alarm right now. In fact, I'd invite you to. Right now, uh, set it for 9 a.m. and noon and 3 if that works for your schedule. If not, set it for some other times. But when that alarm goes off, just spend a moment. Start with just a few moments. God, I remember your presence. God, I remember that I I live in a God-bathed world. God, I remember that you love me and that you're good to me. God, help me live in alignment with who you are and who you're shaping me to be. It's that simple. It's that simple. And what Daniel starts to show us is that a practice of prayer leads to realized power. It leads to God doing something unique and something beautiful in and through his life because he becomes the kind of person who lives with integrity. And that's the goal. The goal is transformation, reshaping. But we've got to develop practices if we're going to become different kinds of people. So King Darius knows that he's been hoodwinked by these other men he's put in positions of leadership, but he's signed this injunction and he needs to be true on it. And so listen to the way the story continues in verse 16. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Don't you love that? This pagan king recognizing that Daniel's God has enough power 
to deliver him from the lions. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. I'm struck by Daniel's response to this situation. See, because integrity doesn't always prevent us from walking through pain, but it always gives us a pathway on which to walk as we go through it. So Daniel doesn't fight this injunction. He doesn't push back against it. He doesn't demand his rights. He he echoes what the prophet Isaiah would say, pointing to Jesus, like a sheep being led to the slaughter, a lamb that was silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. Daniel doesn't get offended. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't turn into a jerk. He went into the den. He received his fate and he trusted in his God. See, I think here's what, as, as followers of Jesus, if we want to have a, the kind of grit that leads to integrity, we must expect opposition, develop practices, but we also have to engage trials. We can't tap out when things get difficult, when the lion's den awaits. We've got to walk with God faithfully, even when it hurts. See, Daniel sticks with his convictions, even when it's costly. And I'd also suggest to you, friends, that this is the space. This is the environment. This is the atmosphere of of miracles, of seeing God's hand move in mighty ways. See, we see God shine when we stand our ground. I'm reminded of a friend who was really high up in Dish Network that was based in Colorado. He was uh, the owner, Charlie Ergen's right-hand man. Uh, Charlie Ergen is one of the top 200 most wealthy people in the United States. Today, he's worth roughly $10 billion. And one of my friends was uh, his right-hand guy. But he told Charlie, he said, Charlie, if Dish ever starts carrying pornography, I'm going to have to quit. I I just, I couldn't be a part of that. And so they went on years and years and uh, their business was growing. But eventually Charlie came to my friend and said, "Um, uh, Dave, I'm sorry, but we're going to make this decision. We feel like it's the best thing to do for the business. And uh, my friend Dave said, I get it, um, but I'm out. I'm going to, I have to resign. Uh, My integrity prevents me from being able to participate in something that I believe destroys lives. It's really interesting to see the way that God moved in the life of my friend after he quit that job. Um, the way God provided, he started this business that just oh, sort of randomly just took off. And God has consistently taken care of him, consistently blessed him because he was willing to live with a kind of grit that says, I will walk away from something that violates my conscience. See, see here's my question for you. What, what's the lion's den that's in front of you? What, what's the thing that you fear that maybe you've been resisting and maybe even you've compromised a little bit so that you didn't have to encounter it? What would it look like to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not I'm going to expect opposition, sort of that emotional, God, I know that this is coming. I'm going to develop practices in my life that sustain my soul when life gets difficult. And then when the lion's den comes, I'm going to walk with you faithfully through it. 
instead of trying to lie to get out of it, instead of trying to manipulate or trying to power up or compromising or giving in to some sort of sexual temptation, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to continue to walk with you. Listen to the way that this story ends. It says this, Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. So this pagan king fasting on behalf of a follower of Yahweh. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. And then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, you're a man of integrity, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said back to the king, Oh, king, Live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded Daniel to be taken out of the den. And Daniel was taken out of the den and no harm was found in him because he had trusted in God. Grandpa Daniel... (laughs) preserved through the lion's den. I love this picture of this pagan king pleading on behalf of this follower of Yahweh. But friends, that's what integrity does. Uh, Integrity causes people who don't agree with you to respect you. Because he's true through and through, it's who he is. And King Darius doesn't end by just respecting Daniel. He actually, because of Daniel's integrity and because of God's preserving him through this lion's den, he actually worships Daniel's God. Listen to the way that this ends. After the king destroys the people that were pushing against Daniel, verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God and jump down. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. We're all worshiping that God now, Darius says. And I'd invite you to write this down. A life of integrity positions you to have an eternal impact. A life of integrity positions you to have an eternal impact. See, we all know people who have lost their impact because of lapses of integrity But I'd like to suggest to you that the opposite is true also. As we live as true, whole, integrated people, followers of Jesus through and through, our lives will start to shine. See, God has always used a faithful remnant of people to preserve whole nations, to preserve neighborhoods, to preserve uh, workplaces, to preserve families. He's taken the integrity of a few and he's given peace to many. What if God would use our lives in that same way, to use our integrity to make an eternal impact as we, through our lives, point people to Jesus? I want that. How about you? So 
What do we do with this section of scripture? What do we do with this teaching on Daniel 6 and integrity? Let me give you three things that I'd like to invite you to write down as we close our time. First, I want to challenge you to assess, honestly assess your own integrity. Get quiet, sit before God, and ask him, Lord, am I a person of integrity? Have I lived with grit in the face of challenge and trials? Or have I lied and have I cut corners and tried to manipulate instead of responding and surrender to you? Honestly assess where your heart is. Are you a person of of integrity, wholeness, character? The second thing I want you to do, though, is to fully rely on God's grace. See, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means that our integrity isn't perfect. We need God's grace. He may have screwed up royally, and you can't go back and undo that, but you can start today. You can't start today saying, Lord, I want to be pure in heart. The pure in heart see God. Help me be that kind of a person. But that takes God's grace, not just at the beginning, but all the way through our journey and our walk with him. One of the things that's really interesting about Daniel 6, and I'd invite you to go back and read it through this lens, is that there's all these hints and winks and nods um, about the coming resurrection of Jesus. There's so many parts of the story that correlate to that story. Uh, For example, we see that the stone was rolled in front of the lion's den. Uh, we, we see, just like the stone rolled in front of Jesus' tomb, we see that Darius runs to the tomb or, or den early in the morning at daybreak. The exact same words that are used of Peter and John running towards Jesus' tomb in John chapter 20. We see that there are angels present. There are angels present at the resurrection as well. There, there is a, a key difference though. And it's that instead of God preserving Daniel through the lion, Jesus through the lion's den like he did for Daniel. He actually succumbed to the lions, to the, to the greatest lion, to the lion of, of death. But in doing so, he became the lion of Judah, the one who eventually conquered death and put to death the lion of death that was coming after you and I because of our sin. Yeah, we look at this passage and we see the reality that while Daniel trusts God to save him, this story ultimately points to a God who through Jesus will save us. Here's the final thing I'd like you to do. Write this down. I want to challenge you to intentionally grow spiritual practices. Uh, Maybe it's practicing fixed hour prayer. In fact, I want to challenge you to have that be one of the applications. Join us as a church community. If you're not a part of our daily devotions called the Daily Fill, I want to challenge you to sign up. Uh, Tomorrow, there's going to be a daily devotion that comes out that's going to walk through fixed hour prayer. Just how to do it and some resources. But as a community of faith, let's embrace that together. If you don't read scripture on a daily basis, maybe just start challenging yourself five minutes a day in the scriptures but start developing the kind of practices that will allow you to become the kind of person who looks back on your life without regret because you developed the grit that allowed you to live with integrity. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for rescuing us from the lion's den, the the death that we rightfully deserve because of sin. You gave your life for us. 
And Lord, our desire is to give ours back to you, to live in alignment with who you've made us to be, that we would be people who have a, a posture of grit, that we might live with integrity, flourishing, and life. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this day. We honor you as God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.